Hello and welcome to Sofa Sensei's. You're joined by me, Kavan. And as you can see, I'm joined by a very special guest. Today we have Damien Denny, who is a five-time Irish champion, as well as a pro with an 18-4 and four record. I'm excited to talk to him about his career in boxing, but also after boxing too. He trained Daniel Day-Lewis to feature in the film The Boxer in 1997, and today is all about that. So we're going to get stuck straight in by talking about his amateur career. So, Damien, thank you very much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Just to give the listeners some idea of how this, this, this all came about, I was scrolling on Twitter and I saw an image from a Boxing History uh, Twitter page. And basically, it was a, an image of, of uh, Barry McGuigan with Daniel Day-Lewis on the pads. And you were in the background, sort of keeping a keen eye on proceedings. And you commented on it saying that, you know, you sparred hundreds of rounds with Daniel and you trained him for the film. And, and that caught our attention right away. Um, we love on Sofa Sensei's boxing and all things sort of combat sports. And we're particularly intrigued by sort of movie depictions of combat sports because often they're very Hollywood, you know, type of movies. But yeah. seeing that Barry McGuigan is there, you're there in the background. This this felt like a real training camp for for a purpose. So we wanted to explore it some more. And we just reached out and you were super, super accommodating. So really grateful to you. So thank you very, very much. So before we get into the movie, I just want to go through your amateur career briefly. Um, so what, what got you into boxing? Probably uh, boredom. It was, um, I started when I was nine. I was uh, born in 66. So it was the mid-70s. Yeah. Um, there wasn't really a lot to be doing as I was playing football or, or box. So um, I just, uh, my older brother and I just seemed to take the boxing. And success breeds success. You know, I won, I won titles from, was 11. Wow. Got, got to go to Canada in 1979 when the troubles were rife in Northern Ireland. Mm. Get a jumbo jet, traveling to Canada for 11 days. You know, it was an experience that I, that I wanted to taste more of. So Basically, that was the reason why I, uh, I stuck at boxing. You know, just, I loved it from the very first day we went to it. So winning titles at 11 after starting at nine years old, was it something that you was naturally good at then or was boxing still quite a bit of work for you? Well, I, I put it down a lot to my older brother being three years older. So I was sparring, working out at home with him. So I was always used to fighting somebody a lot stronger. Yeah. When I see it came to fighting guys my own age, he just didn't have the same strength as yeah. the older had. So, and just as I said, success, I tasted it early on. I never lost uh, in any championship when I was 11 years of age up until I turned pro at 20. I won County Anthem Ulster Championships the whole way through. Wow. Uh, undefeated, yeah. And then carried that through to the, the Ulster Seniors where I became Ulster Senior Champion for late welter, welter and late midweight, three consecutive years, three different weights. I moved up a weight and beat the champion every year. So I, I carried that right through until I turned pro. And I also won five Irish titles, as I said. So, so we've spoken um, on this show to a few boxers before, and we know how sort of rigorous the amateur game can be. Uh, you know, you're in fights, you're in tournaments frequently, you know, like like you were talking about just there, you're going through the weights because you're growing as a, as, as a man um, or as a, an adolescent, shall I say. Yeah. What was that like on the body? You know, that constant competition? Well, I'm sort of reading the benefits of it now. It's not, you know, but I've raised my feet and <laughs> my stuff. But um, I think at the time it's fantastic for, for any young fella to, to get into training. It's, it's a great way of disciplining children you know so it was um 
there was a lot going on in Northern Ireland at the time. Mm. We could have been awake, but we could have been getting into stuff we, we shouldn't have been getting into. So, like a Holy Trinity club in Turf Lodge was a mecca for, for, for champions. I mean, you had to be a good fighter even to get out of there. Mm. The sparring was, was, you know, it was the toughest way you'd ever, you'd ever get anywhere. We had Irish champions right the whole way through. Every eighth division was Irish champions. So, when you went in that club, you went in, you were getting the best coaching from Mickey Hawkins, and you were getting the best training, sparring from all the guys in the club. Like uh, John Erskine, Carly Brown, Eddie Fisher, all Irish champions, all fought at Commonwealth World uh, European Championships. So there, was, there was quality running right throughout the club. And that was down to the Hawkins family. Uh, you probably heard of Michael Hawkins and Harry and Thomas. Um, they they founded the club in 72 when the troubles was, was absolutely right. Yeah. And the kids that they saved be taking them off the streets and, and giving them a direction in life. You know, they have been commended and they should be commended because people like that are, you know, they're fantastic for a community. Yeah. So, big hit my heart then. Wicked. I mean, you, you spoke about your, your older brother as well and, you know, being three years older than you and him in a lot of ways, one, conditioning you, but two, inspiring you and, and sort of keeping keeping you honest, if you will. Um, how did his boxing career sort of go about? His, he was, he was, he actually, his last, one of his last spars was with, you just mentioned, was with Barry McGuigan. Wow. He was, uh, yeah, he was about a year younger than Barry, and I spoke to Barry about this. He was uh, 18, and he had a really bad car accident. He was almost oh. killed in a car accident. And on the life support machine for, I think it was 33 days, uh, switched the life support machine off. He kept going, and he's still living today, married to two beautiful daughters. So they said it was a testimony to how fit his body was, mm. how through. It was, it was two brain operations he had, but he's fine. You know? So you, you mentioned there they switched the, um, the life support off and he, and he kept going? Yeah, it put an end to his boxing career. So yeah. He was just, sort of, just about to turn senior, go to senior level, and he, he could bang a bit. He was a lightweight and he was nine and a half stone. So wow. it was just it was a pity that it was cut short like that. Yeah. But my evidently. Away right from my mum, who supported us with the cooking, the cleaning, um, mm. and the my dad the driving us through the older brother with I have an older brother Frank. Uh, he built us a gym out the back because we couldn't travel to, to Belfast every day. We live about fifteen miles outside Belfast. Public transport wasn't great, troubles were bad. So we had a little small gym out the back and we used to use that when we couldn't get to the Holy Trinity. So the whole family supported us. You know? And my old, my one older sister, she's she's my she taught me how to box really. She was always ready to give me a spar. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> She'd give you a clip when you, you were misbehaving, you know, on. So that's, that's the, it's just support always there for me. It's like you lived in a training camp. <laughs> day in, day out. That sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. Um, yeah. So, you know, like you said, you won all those titles going through the weights as an amateur. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're in a, a prestigi prestigious gym at that as well. So yeah. as you sort of turn pro... First of all, was that always on the cast to turn pro? Was it always the vision, the plan? I think it's sort of a new fighter's dream to be truthful that they would like to become a world professional champion. Yeah. You know, and it's just about being the best amateur. But um, as time progresses, you sort of think, I would like to see how far I can go in the, in the pro game. So I, I, I won two senior titles, competing in the final by Billy Walsh in the third one. I boxed the Commonwealth Games, won a bronze medal, got the quarter final of world championships. Um, went to European Championships. It was, it was gaining experience. Uh, I was still only 20 at the time, uh, just coming 21 when I turned pro. Mm. Uh, 
possibly looking back on it now, Gavan, I think it, it possibly turned pro too early. It should have waited on the 1988 Olympics. It would have been 22, a bit more experience, and um, who knows? You know, I might have got a medal at the Olympics. So if I can ask a little bit then, so what, what, why did the Olympics evade you? I turned pro. Ah, okay. So was it, was there a reason for turning pro? Was there a rush or was there... I'd actually broke my hand against, uh, it was Ireland against England. Um, I stopped a guy called Keith Wall in Dublin. And it was the first time there was going to be a double header international against England and Ireland. And the first one was in Dublin. And then the next one was going to be in Belfast. So I stopped Keith, Keith Wall in the third round, I think it was. So he was, he was out for 28 days. So he couldn't fight me in the return in Belfast yeah. four days later. So they got me in the late middleweight, a guy called Demon McCubrey, and I broke my hand against him. Um, that was sort of started my, my, my hand trouble. Then I was going to go to European Championships, and Michael Hawkins said, listen, you're not ready, your hand isn't right. And I sort of <clears throat> I threw, the to- threw the toys out of the pram a little bit and said, well, no, I think I'm ready to go. Mm. He knew better. He knew what I was, he knew what it was about. And an offer had sort of come through the boxing news. Remember Harry Mullen? Yeah, one of the editors, right, of Boxing News? Yeah, he was, he was like one of the, like, he was an editor, he was actually an Irish guy, he was from Enniskill. Really? Um, he sort of, he got in contact with me and said Frank Warren was interested and, and put the two of us together. And I, I went and signed with Frank Warren and, and uh, I had my first fight on the 1st of June in the Royal Albert Hall in the undercard of Terry Morris against the Kia Kanita. So, Royal Albert Hall, pro debut. Yeah. Before we get into that, I just want to, pick up a little bit on what's going on around you at this time as you're turning pro. So first of all, um, there's a bit of hype around you because you've got these titles. You're signed by Frank Warren, who he just broke up the the cartel. He's making a name for himself. He's a, a, a bold, brash promoter. But then also on the Irish context, Barry McGuigan had just lost his title in and around 1986. So I'm imagining that they're looking for the next big Irish star. Does well, that all line up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was a little bit behind. You know, I just turned pro. But Barry actually came and signed for Frank Warren um, when I when I was living over there. And Barry came and says, "How do you find living in London?" And I said, "Like, well, it's not not home. You know, it's there's a lot of congestion. There's a lot of fume. <laughs> you got to have to get up early in the morning. You know, yeah. here, here, you left my house and you're in the countryside in five minutes. You know, wow." You know, Barry was the same, he's from Clonus, he's from even, uh, even more remote time. So it was sort of a, it was a good bill filler for that Barry was going to be topping the bills. Uh, you know, following on the card of him on Pickett's Lock uh, when he made his comeback with, with Frank Warren. So there was that wee bit of Frank. We obviously wanted to <coughs> design top fighters, but I signed big headed. Uh, the boxing news used to run ratings every sort of six months. I don't know whether you're old enough to remember this, but boxing news ratings. No. So they, they, they were like the Bible, Kevin. They, you know, they knew all the records of all the amateurs. They ranked me number one in Britain for three years in the amateurs. Go on. And six in the world. So, you know, I had a bit of talent and Frank signed me. And Frank Warren looked after me in packet, but, uh, you know, I have to say that. Brought me over to London. I'm glad you said that because, you know, a, a lot of the time, 
I think particularly now, I, I see boxing media has shifted a little bit. You know, you spoke, you referenced quite a lot there, the boxing news, and that was, you know, is still a very prestigious uh, publication. Um, yeah. You could trust them when it comes to boxing. Nowadays, we have a lot of people making a lot of content with unver- unverifiable information in, inside. Even, you know what, if I can even have my opinion here a little bit, Frank himself, I think, sometimes lets himself down with some of the YouTube videos that he's going on crazy rants and, you know, burning bridges. But... I'm glad that you said he treated you well because we rarely hear that story nowadays. I'm glad it, it was a different experience. Yeah, yeah. Listen, you can always speak the truth. And you can only, what, what Frank done for me was he, he done things fantastic. You know, no fault, couldn't fault it. Brilliant. So one of the things that, you know, we've come to learn about boxing and promotion and that whole um, uh, union is that there's usually a plan for a fighter you know we'll get you this fight we'll get you this fight and then in this time we'll get you this title and we'll progress you this way what was that plan between yourself and Frank so well um, so it's a, a good question and it's a hard question to answer because in the same in the same stable at the same time a fighter called Georgie Collins Georgie was I think he was a bit undefeated in 25 fights and I was coming through behind George and as a welterweight with Tony Collins, Cornelius Carr, myself. We used to do a lot, lot of sparring together. Right. So to say there was a plan, the, the, the thing was, um, it was all about remaining unbeaten, which I think is a bad thing to have now because sometimes you learn more in a fight you lose. Mm. It was that more sort of, not, well, it was pressure to sort of hold on to an unbeaten record because as a, as a there was 21, 22, 23. He was thinking, if I lose, TV companies aren't, aren't going to want to put me on the shows anymore, which was completely the wrong outlook to have. But when I did eventually lose my first fight against Dale Bryan, it really set me back, and I don't think I ever really recovered from it, to be truthful, because I thought, no disrespect to Dale Bryan, I thought I would have beat him, but I was actually killing myself to make 10 and a half stone. I mean, it was absolutely... There's only two or three people that know what I went through mm-hmm. to have to, and there was no way in the day before the end of on. It was the day of the fight. It was one o'clock the day of the fight. I wow. Yeah. And on the day of the fight, I was still a quarter of a pound over and I had to sit in the sauna for about an hour. I was absolutely dead at the weight. I hadn't eaten solids for about three days. I was just taking wee energy drinks and I was training, skipping in the flat, trying to make the weight. I mean it I couldn't I couldn't exaggerate it enough to see how how, how tough it was for me to make ten and a half stone. And I, I lost on points over 10 rounds to Dale Brown. But it did affect me, the unbeaten record. So, and then Frank, Frank Warren got shot and blah, blah, blah. Um, I, joined, I joined by her and after that. I mean, there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there I want to discuss. So, you know, Frank Warren being shot is, is, is probably an episode in and of itself. Who shot Frank Warren? Anyway, but I mean, well, making weight... <laughs> yeah, just get that out there. You do not know. Damien does not know who shot Frank Warren. um making weight on the same day um do you know what you've triggered a memory there because i remember hearing um oh what's his name ian dark discuss uh eubank senior making weight in in ridiculous ways dropping ridiculous weight on on the day so for yourself sitting in a sauna for an hour drinking energy drink and not having solids for three days could you just talk this, the, the audience through how you're feeling at that moment before you get into a fight, by the way, later on in the day? Oh, listen, it was... Then, then yeah, I lived in North London 
I was fighting in the London Arena. So they travel across the London Arena, make a way in, make a wait, travel back to the flat, and then travel back to the London Arena. There was none of this, like, you, you stay at the venue. And it was, wow. It was just a, and the fight was on TV, and I actually turned around to Ernie Fossey, God rest him. After the second attempt, I said, Ernie, I can't play this. I said, I'm absolutely, I'm, I'm dead, I can't, I, can't, I can't make a wait. He says, you're topping the bill, it's on my TV, you've got to make the wait. So I made the wait. Um, but I just didn't have any energy. And yeah. after about four rounds, Bernie said to me, he says, right, he says, you know what you've you know what you've come to to make a weight. Just slow down a little bit. Mm. And then he says, for the strength of later rounds. And I let sort of probably five, six, seven, eight, nine fall away from me. And I think he won a bad point. You know, so, so I mean I was, you know, it was absolutely yeah. And when when we talk about again, you know, you can't you can't not make weight because you're on TV, you're on ITV. I don't want to, you know, I want to make sure the audience are fully aware of what that means in that context as well. We're talking potentially millions of viewers. You know, some yeah. of the big fights we reference, um, Barry McGuigan, Eubank, Ben, we're talking yeah. tens of millions of viewers, 18 million viewers watching some of these fights. So a lot's on yes, the line. Yeah, do you, do you remember ITV Fight Night? That's no, the, before my time. That was on the Frank Warren party at ATV fight night. It was seconds out. So right. It was, it was on. So it wouldn't have been on the magnitude of McGuigan and Pedroza or mm. Eubank and Collins. It was, still, it was still a headliner in the London arena on ATV. So there was a lot riding on it. Mm. So but, uh, you mentioned losing to Del Bryan yeah. and, you know, almost that you wasn't the same after that. Now, was that because of the effects of the fight itself? Obviously, you know, being dehydrated and drained and then having to fight. Was it the physical effects of the fight or was it the mental effects of losing a fight? It was a or mental both. effect. It was mental effects. I mean... You know, I used to get the boxing news. You'd read he was unbeaten. He was unbeaten. George Collins was unbeaten. Tony Collins was unbeaten. Mm. And everybody was... All the things... Real emphasis put on being an unbeaten fighter. When you, when you lost one, what I should have done was I should have... Note it down, what went wrong, moved up the light midweight then and said, right, this isn't going to happen again. Mm. But instead, instead, I just went, well, not good enough. I've just lost to Dale Brand, who I think he had 15 losses on his record or 12 losses against 37 fights. But he'd been fighting regularly, even though he might have been losing them. He was still competitively fit. Mm. Where I, was, I was coming off a layoff of probably, I think it was six, eight months. And I put it on like two and a half stone and had to try and lose that. It was just my body was growing and I was trying to, you know, yeah. trying to boil it down, boil it down to the weather every time. So but I, should have just, I should have made the, the, the positive thing out of it and said, this is why you lost and don't do it again. But I just thought the skills weren't good enough and really I, I should have beat them. You know? So when we spoke earlier, you, you spoke about... Um, I, I joked around about basically living in the training camp. You've got all these people around you supporting you, all with the same vision, the same goal, and even some sparring you can call them at any moment in time. But, yeah. you know, what was your pro career like? You've moved away from home. You're living in London. So when you're saying that you should have noted things down, you know, um, effectively gone back to the drawing board and moved up in yeah. weight, was, was the support network the same when you turned pro? Well, my family wasn't around me for the start. My yeah. And I lived in, in London, so that that network. My mother, my mother, and my father come over for. I was supposed to fight a guy called Dave McCabe, or a friend of Linda for Blaise title. They come over and cooked and looked after me and stuff like that. Um, but then the support wasn't there. 
they um, they were there if I needed them, if I had a need for them to help. And it, it wasn't as easy to keep in contact with. And there was no mobile phone, there's mm. none of this. So it was a real phone you dialed up and you spoke to, you know, and, and that's how I learned to cook. My mum taught me how to cook over the phone because it's seated on wow. the phone. All of a sudden, I'd say, right, I've got the potatoes peeled. Right, what meat do you have? And I'm having gobs of chicken or whatever. She says, okay, put them in the oven now. Now, I've been in 15 minutes. What I like, told her, okay, turn your potatoes on. And that was how I learned how to cook. You know? It's crazy. I mean, what a resource, though. That That is... That's a lovely memory to have, you know, being taught to cook by your mother over the phone. Like, like as much as, you know, obviously you'd rather be there in person, that does sound like an amazing memory to hold. Well, it was, but it, was, it also showed how spoiled it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you put it like that, that's, yeah, that's a good point. Um, so I'm not going to get into Frank Warren being shot, but career-wise... Was that a spanner in the works? Um, well, I just lost a fight as well. Just lost that fight. Just shortly before it. my contract had just run out. Frank was obviously led up with, with bullet wounds. Um, I'm not too sure if he lost the contract with the with the TV company. Um, Barry Hearn was the new kid on the block. Mm. He was saying a lot of fighters, and I went to see him, and he said he liked to sign me, so I signed for Barry Hearn. Yeah. Which, uh, wasn't a nice thing to do after Frank didn't ask me for three years, but I've got one chance at making it. These promoters, and I've always said that these promoters, they just keep going and going and going yes. and going. The conveyor belt, we're, we're, we're on the conveyor belt. As soon as we fall off that conveyor belt, they have a new, they have a new kid coming along, they fill it. So I had one chance and I done what I thought was right at the time. In hindsight, that probably wasn't right, but um, I done at the time what I thought what I should have, should be doing. And I had four fights with with with. Uh, with Barry Hearn. I mean, lost. how was that process with Barry Hearn? Think, thinking about your relationships with, with both Frank and Barry, um, if I can just be blunt, who was the better promoter for you in your, your circumstances at the time? Frank Warren. Why is that? Well, as I say, there's a lot of things that he did do for me that I don't want to go into. Mm. Um, um, I was... I, my sole trainer was Barry Hearn when I went into the match room. It was a bigger, it was sort of like a bigger, a bigger pool if you want a bigger fight. It was Eubank was there, uh, Sean Cummings was there, Carl Krupp was there, Eubank was there, mm. um, Silky Jones was there, which we, we crossed swords from the last fight. Um, Danny Porter was there, Herbie Hyde was there. It's yeah. a massive gym. Really, it was a, it's a, a gym full of talent, you know. I think Steve Collins did this. Eamon Nockham was there, another Irish fighter, became world champion. Um, so I, I had one year with them. Um, it's, I said, two, four fights and I, I lost two of them. One of reverse to the stage and back against Newton Barnett. Um, I, I think I'd fallen out of love at this stage. I had shin splints that mm. fell from my heart. Um, and it probably wasn't putting the training in the way it should have been. As I said, I'd been boxing top level since I was like 17 years of age and senior level. And there was no real breaks, and I think my body just started to say, yeah, I need a break. Mm. And so, the last one year, but no, Frank Warren was a, for me, yeah, no problems with Barry Hearn. Just, I still see him from time to time with some of the shows, get on, get on great with him. Just didn't work out for me. Yeah. I'll tell you what, what's really capturing my attention at this point. I mean, you was with Barry Hearn for a year and you had four fights. I mean, compare that to this era. 
no one's yeah. having four fights in a year unless they're yeah. really really early eight fights i had in the first year wow yeah and i broke my hands twice in the first year and i still had eight fights in the second year four fights and the third year i think i just had two and the last one yeah this era is so frustratingly slow you get invested in a career and you have to wait another six to, to nine months, if not longer, to see them active again. I mean, this weekend we just saw Josh Taylor lose uh, to Tiafimo Lopez. Maybe he wouldn't have lost if he was if he was more active than he than he is. You know, we haven't seen him in 15, 16 months. Um, yeah, it's frustrating as, as a fan right now trying to see these fighters be active. But talking of um, you know some of the the depth of, of the division, either that you are in or that was around you. Being a sort of light middle, um, yeah, light, light, light welter. Um, uh, were you around, or did you have any interactions with Steve Collins, Chris Eubank, Nigel Ben? Yeah. And what were they like? Let's reel them off. Let's, let's start with Eubank. Okay. Um, trained a few times. Never, never sparred with Eubank. Never, never, never asked to spar with him. Um, he, he used the gym, and you're talking about making the late one at the time. Uh, I remember passing my true gym when, when they had the gym downstairs uh, at one o'clock in the morning, and we all went in, and there he was doing the pass with, with, with Rami at yeah. one o'clock in the morning. We're in sweatshirt, <laughs> trying, to make, trying to make our way for a fight. That's and crazy. You know, it was crazy. Um, Dave Collins, a new, a new Steve from, from the amateur days, uh, boxing the Irish seniors. Um, I was at it was actually at his wedding there a few years back. Um, nice guy, tough, tough as nails. Mm. Um, nice playing, turn pro with Frank Warren. Same sort of time as what I did, and his peers were sort of coming through at the same. Used to have a lot of conversation with Nigel. Um, yeah, he, he thought I was a talent. He said, "Whatever you do, don't move up the middleweight." He said, "It'll get us to clash." <laughs> um, yeah, uh, he's saying we're getting sponsored by search and search to get this. It's got to happen for you. you know? Nice guy, mm. yeah. Nigel. Yeah, I do think um, there was something in the air at that at that time in boxing. Um, like I say, it's before my time, but they're still top of the of the you know your mind when you think about British boxing and some of the iconic fights that we've seen as a nation. Uh, some of the big names. I mean, obviously, uh, when it comes to Eubank and Ben, their sons are both fighting right now. Um, and that's interesting to watch and they almost fought each other and you know we all know the story that went, by, went on behind that but it's very interesting to see um, those big names and, and sort of your interactions with them um, so you mentioned that you know you broke you broke your hands a few times throughout your career and you know at this stage in your career you're getting shin splints and your body's breaking down were you were you a good pro and I mean by that did you sort of put the work in was you dedicating your whole life to to the sport at this point and on reflection, do you feel like that was a mistake or are you sort of content with what you did in boxing? No, no, massive. You know, you say, I said earlier on, you get one chance at it. Mm. Um, without sounding big-headed, things came very, very easy to me. You know, I wasn't really doing the proper road work. Mm. I was doing the gym. You know, there was, wasn't too many people getting the better than sparring. But the sparring's only sort of four or five rounds. And once you get into the later rounds, the six, seven, eights, and nine, the ninth rounds, that's when you need to have that stamina-based fitness, you know. Yeah. And that wasn't really great for me. There was also a wee bit of doubt in my own mind. You know, um, and it never really reflected it in the, in the boxing. You know, I was all sort of 
that's shy, but it was, it was afraid to sort of say, well, I want him and I want him. And it just wasn't, I just wasn't that, that type of personality to be shouting out names and stuff. You know, maybe should have. Maybe would have got a bigger fight. You know? Yeah. But you know, to answer your question, could have been more dedicated. And I have to live with that for the rest of my life. And the third which I've been given a God-given talent and I didn't, I didn't use it to the best of my ability. You know? So you have to live with that. So with that then, I want to talk about your final fight. Yeah. Um, it was a fight in in your in Belfast, in your home, yeah. and in a hall that I've never lost in Gavan. Oh, lost. I did not know that context. Yeah, I've never lost in Ulster Hall. So you've yeah. never lost in Ulster Hall. Yeah. And this is your fight. Was it planned as your final fight? Did you know that was going to be your last fight? Yeah. Do you know what I did? I did, yeah, because I'd made statements and said, listen, this is my last fight. Uh, if I lose, this is my last fight. Right. And I'd, I'd actually said to a guy who's looking after me, um, a, a guy called Owen McMahon, and we're still friends to this day, Owen, and I said, listen, I think it was in the, maybe the November of the year before, uh, I was supposed to be chief support to Eubank Collins in Mill Street when Collins beat Eubank. Yep. And I broke my hand, and I couldn't, couldn't fight on it. Those pesky was, hands. Yeah, just the metacarpals went all the time. Um, and I just, I've been training for fights. I was going back a few, going back a few fights. I had Eamon Lockham was going to be defending his world title in the King's Hall in Belfast. And I think it was about second week in February. Mm. And I've been training all over Christmas, very long Christmas day. The usual stuff, back at, back at home again. Uh, training like a demon. And I think about two weeks before the show, it got cancelled. I think Eamon hurt his back. And the, the, the Barry Hearn actually said to me, I think it was for a European title fight, and he's, Barry said, could you make welter with And I said, well, I'll probably give it a go, but I'm going to be back down to the way I was. Mm. So the whole, the whole thing, it, it all went. Um, the show was cancelled. You were left there, and you're, you've had sort of six weeks training all over Christmas. Not much of a life. This stage, I'm starting to get to 26, 27. I've literally been training since I was nine years of age, more or mm. less right um, I remember just saying, "Listen, there's, there's nothing worth this. You don't get a penny. You, know, you don't. You, there's nobody turn around and say, well, you, you've just spent six weeks of your life. Here's your money for your training. Just, yeah. We'll try and get, we'll try and get you out again in March or April. Then a sudden, then you're looking, you're not looking. You're looking five months of your life is gone, and you haven't, you haven't received a penny. You know where I'm coming from. And it's, there was somebody there to come to compensate. and say, listen, there's a few pounds that you know, it's going to keep the wolves from the door. All's well, well, good.'" But I said, I said to you, listen, I think that's me. I think I'm going to pack it in. He came back to me and said, we've got the WBO with the Continental title fight. I said, okay. Who's it against? Paul Selkie's Jones. Uh, see, you're not going to get me a hand there one or not. Because yeah. that, that's him sparring in, in, in watching. And I knew he could, he could fight a bit. You know, but I still thought I would have beat him. I could stop in the first round. You know? I mean, Ian. we spoke earlier about um, how that loss dented your sort of confidence. Yeah. How 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 did losing in the first round in front of your home crowd feel? It's disgusting. You know, yeah. that was I've been sparring. I've been working out down in Eastwood's gym. At this stage, I've been with, with Barney Eastwood and training. I've been sparring with Cosantle Spania for his defence against Ike Quarter. And that held me on with, with Cosantle. Even the fact that Barney brought me to Paris with him. Uh, had all the sparring done, brought me over to Paris. 
just as a wee thank you for because they've done so well against Chris nice. Andrew. So then we brought over uh, Kevin Lucian. Remember Kevin? He was a welterweight. He fought Daniel Santos. Doesn't ring uh, a bell to me. Londoner Kevin Lucian. Look him up. Okay. He, I think he, he looked. I think he, he, he looked after Nigel Ben for a while. He was like an agent or something. Nigel okay. Ben, the guy, but a, a really big puncher. As I say, I think he dropped Daniel Santos. I think it was Santos. Maybe even Felix Trinidad. Okay. Somebody like he dropped in the first or second round, and then they got up and stopped him. I think in sixth or seventh round, he was British champion and fought for world title. So he came over to give me a hand sparring, and I think it was the second last day of sparring. He caught me an absolute peach of a left hook and just stiffed my body. Uh, right at the end of the round, he actually don't think seen it. The bell went, and I walked over to my brother, and my brother Frank says, "Oh, he's buzzed you there, hasn't he?" Goes, yeah. The next day, Kevin Lucian actually said, "Listen, can we have an easy spar today?" So I feel I'm feeling the effect of the, the sparring all week, so uh, that suited me. But I think it was a little bit concussed still. Mm. Till when I get in with Silky Joe, because he hit me with a super right hand, just hit me behind the ear, and all of a sudden I'm looking in the canvas, and I'm actually thinking. We're silky though. Mm. I'm actually looking at the canvas. And then I realised Chris has knocked me down. And I got up and Steve Paris was the was the referee and he counted. And then he, he I, I thought he was waving it off and I was like, No, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. He said, Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you to box on. So I was still buzzed from it. And then he came in the grabs. I grabbed Silky and I said to him, Listen, that's all you have. You're gonna need more. And uh <coughs> Split up and then he hit me an uppercut and, and stopped me. So I was, I think it was two minutes and 46 seconds, something like that. And then I, I announced my retirement on, it was on Eurosport TV or Sky Sports, uh, and um, that was it. The career was over. I don't mean it was embarrassing for me to get on. I, I, I don't think I was out of the house for the six weeks. You know, wow. I was, yeah. I, I lost in around, place was full, friends, family. You know, mm. yeah. Now, you were 29 at this point. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've discovered that y- you said to yourself and you committed publicly that if you lost, you retire. So the retirement itself wasn't a surprise. And can I just say, um, congratulations for, for not coming back because I think that's something that plagues a lot of boxers, particularly in the, when they retire relatively early, uh, is yeah. that they come back and it's just, it's just not the same. So, so congrats to you for sort of sticking to that, that to yourself. Um, life after boxing... But I did make a com- I did make a comeback. Yeah. But it was for Hollywood. Yeah, well, and and what a comeback it was, and, and, and what a way to come back as well. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. That's like, yeah, that's 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 the way you want to do it. Um, yeah. You don't want to be jumping in fights that you definitely outmatched for because you're older and you know, you're taking years out and th- yeah, forget all that. Yeah. Hollywood is where you want to come back. Um, so life after boxing was was there a plan for that, or was it a matter of find your feet? Still twenty nine. Stay on your feet and do what you have to do. I bought a house and pay the bills, and um, you just you don't really have to do to, to make ends meet. So, what what sort of things with that skill set of boxing? What sort of things did you have to do uh, to make ends meet? Do you know what? I walked away from it. I walked away from from boxing. I, I started driving a taxi. So I drove a taxi for about a year, and then we started putting cable down. My older, my two older, an older brother and a younger brother. We started laying the cable, the fiber up the cable down, or then it was it wasn't fiber optic, it was cable TV. So it was just digging roads, doing a manual labouring job. When when the word came through that Barry was looking for me to, to go down, have a rattle with, with Daniel Delius. So this is nineteen ninety six, I imagine, because yeah. the film came out in seven. Um, 
And, you know, you get a call from Barry. Yep. To say, Daniel Day-Lewis wants to make a movie or is making a movie. Do you want to get involved? Talk us through that. Basically, yeah. Again, no mobile phones. And it actually rang my mum's house. Uh, I was living at home then I bought a house. And by the time I'd get home, my mum was on the phone. She's going, oh, Barry McGuigan's been on the phone. He's been looking, they're looking at the site, Daniel Day-Lewis. And I'm going, I honestly haven't heard about any movie being made. I went, well, I've retired. I'm not, I'm not fighting anymore. And Daniel Day-Lewis is my fighter. He's an actor. And she said, hold, hold on, I'll pass you over to your, my brother, Frank. So Frank came on and Frank says, listen, Barry's been on the phone. He's, he wants you to ring him in the morning because he's now commentating for Sky. And he wants to ring in the morning. They're doing a movie with Daniel Day-Lewis and they'd like you to down screen test for it. So rang Barry the next morning about 11 o'clock. And he's, yeah, Damon, uh, we're making this massive movie. Oh, I want to, I'm going to give this number. Uh, Tommy Gormley's the guy's name. He's the assistant director. He sort everything out from there. So, and then it was just brought to Dublin. Treated like an absolute superstar. Had my own Winnebago name on the door. Go on. Yeah, picked up at the picked up at the train station. The guy still with my name on it. Jerry Fear and lovely big uh, Mercedes. Opened the back door and I said, "Don't sit in the back. Sit in the front." And he drove us over to Phoenix Park. They had all the, the set all set out. The boxing ring, all the Winnebagos, caravans, everybody running about doing their stuff. Uh, Tommy Gormley's wife Sarah met me. She says, Damon, I'm going to be your um, like assistant, do anything you want. I'm going to show you the your Winnebago, over I went. She said, Daniel and Barry are in London, and they've been held up because of the weather. It's been really, really stormy weather, and the flight's been delayed for a couple of hours. Go in, you know, meet yourself at home, walk around the set. If you need anything, just come and ask me. So all of a sudden, I'm from Belfast, one day, down to Dublin, um, on a movie set, and sitting in a Winnebago going, the hell's this all about? Then two hours later, Barry comes in. How are you doing? I haven't seen you in a few years. Needs you put on weight. I put on weight. <laughs> yeah. And there standing behind Barry was Daniel with a big long uh, trench coat and a flat cap on him. He sort of standing there all shy. He introduced me and he said, How are you? I said, I'm fine. Uh, nice to have you on board. You okay to do a bit of sparring? I was like, Well, I'm probably 14 and a half stone now, and nowhere near 11 stone. Mm. I said that to Barry, I said, Barry, I'm in open condition to be sparring. I said, how, how good is he? And I'm, I'm thinking, Daniel Day-Lewis, method actor, he's going to be going to be shit hot here. He's going to get in really take my head off. Yeah. And I thought, he's an actor, he's 40, 39 years of age. Surely he can't be that good. I'll be able to survive two or three rounds with him. You know? So I got in, big baggy t-shirt on my head in my belly. And, um, got in, Jim Sheridan was our director. Four or five guys out of... Uh, Universal Studios was sitting watching the sparring. Uh, Barry was there. So, got in with Daniel, started sparring. And first clinch, he clinched, he, he just sort of tightened. He was just, he, I think he was nervous. Mm. So I, I looked around at, the, at Jim and Barry. I said, Is this going to be professional fighting or, or amateur fighting? And he said, oh, No, pro. So I said, Listen, you need, you need to relax. We let move your head a bit more. I said, I'm not going to hit you hard. I'm not going to hurt you. You know, feel free to just. But you're, you're, you're still a wee bit too rigid. Mm. Are, you, are you nervous? Yeah, yeah, I'm nervous. So I think that was the time they said this is the guy for the part because it wasn't going to be just, you know, telling him he's better than what he is, you know. So I think that's when I had it. I screen test for three days, but they didn't tell me for three days that I was sparring every day and they were asking me to act in the ring 
they were saying to me, how do you feel about the cameras rolling? And I was like, I don't care, you know, when you're in the ring, this is my domain, this is where I, this is where I feel more comfortable. You know, if you're asking me maybe to, to do a love scene or something or kiss a girl, I'll feel a bit better out of depth. Yeah. Nice, but this, this is what I do, you know. It's, you're, you're the invader, he's the invader, not, not me. He's the intruder, sorry, not me, you know. So, but then they asked me to act angry and fight and person and use a couple of expletives and, and I thought, i got to give this a go, you know, because I didn't want somebody else getting apart. So yeah. I went for it. You know. and- how did it feel? Like, you know, you, you mentioned sparring hundreds of rounds with, with um, Daniel. Yeah. So as the rounds progressed, did he get better? Did, did you both gel a lot more? Both. Both, Gavan. He, he definitely got better. Um, I'd say we're doing sort of, we're doing at least five, six, seven, eight rounds a day some days. It wow. what he was doing. Yeah, he, was, he really put the work in. And, he wasn't holding back, you know. He was, he was having a bit of rattle, you know. And I would clip him a few times and he got a bit... <laughs> Go you know, It was rumoured that I broke his nose. He was in the sudden newspaper that I, I broke his nose. And uh, let you make your own mind. <laughs> Go on. Go on. Make that uh, 19 and 4 on, on the record then. Um, <laughs> that was the comeback. That was the comeback. Um, so I don't know if this is the Hollywood in Barry McGuigan, but... It, he has been known to say that Daniel Day-Lewis, if he really got his head down, he could have won a British title. Yeah. What's, your, you what's your assessment on that? Would you look at some of the fairies that do win a British title? <laughs> you, you probably, not going to name anybody. Listen, he was 39 years of age when he started training for, for the boxer. He actually turned 40 when we were making the movie. So like, for a guy who'd never fought before, I mean, the level he was at... <clears throat> Yeah, he was good. He, he lacked a little bit of strength. He just lacked a little bit of, you know, that sort of strength that he'd grow into as a fighter. Mm. He wouldn't even doing it for probably a year. He'd never trained him doing positive and stuff like that. Technically very good. I mean, balls to burn. You know, he, mm. he was he was a pheasant. You know, because he, there was a couple of fighters that brought over. Uh, like, uh, Clayon Stewart, he, he had a part in the thing. And then two were absolutely winging it. And Barry and I were sitting in the corner. Oh, Jesus Clay was winging the shots at him. Daniel was just, we just whizzing past his nose. And Barry said, Would you have a word with this guy? He's like, You've got to tell him to calm down a bit. You know, if he breaks his jaw or breaks his nose or whatever, I said, the, the, the movie could be cancelled. So I said to Clay, and I said, Listen, this guy's an actor. He's, you know, he's never fought before. And he said, Well, I'm not over here to be, to be beaten up, to be used as a punch. I'm not that often you let him hit you, but just don't be throwing full velocity shots back mm. at him. Day Lewis was there, and he was in pitching, he was in giving it his lot, you know. So, so this is real as well, because I've seen a few Creed movies, uh, and you could just tell it's the whole, you know, that kind of effect. But yeah. this is real. I mean, this, this was in preparation for it, Gavon. Mm. This was sparring leading up to it, but I haven't done anything. All the fight scenes were choreographed. Yeah. The one punch that I think he hit me when he knocked me down the first fight, he hit me. And I think he was... I think he meant to help me make it more. Yeah. Because yeah, it actually disorientated me a little bit because he wanted me. He was a strong lad. He, you know, I mean, he could punch a bit, but he didn't have that physical strength. But he whacked me and then I went back to the corner and I said to um, Paul Ronan, who's Cesar Ronan's dad, he was my cornerman in the movie. He says, uh, are you okay? And I went, just whack me. Just, you know, just hit me full on the chin. Yeah. And he says, are you okay? And I, I went, are we doing the second or third round of choreography? He said, no, second round. I went, all right, okay. So he did wow. help me that one. 
a little buzz there. Yeah. So, so I suppose we wanted to make it as we had Barry said as well. We wanted to make it as realistic as we could. We didn't want the big, you know, the ten knockdowns. Yeah. You know, like like the Mickey Ward and the Tory Yeah. We didn't want that. We wanted to make it more realistic and and you know show the misses. Somebody throws a jab in the miss. So we all do that. Yeah. You know, nobody, no fighter can actually all be punched. You know, so we wanted to keep it as much. Stuff without making it boring for the for the viewer, we wanted to sort of keep it as real as what we could. And I don't think we get enough credit for our the choreographs and the fight scene because everybody wants the the, like, the blood and the guts and the blood flying everywhere. Well, fights don't, don't happen like that. Well, not very often they don't. You know? I, I think there's a real um, there's a split in the audience because uh, I watched George Foreman's um, sort of movie the other day, and right. I was a tiny bit disappointed in it because of all the uh, Hollywoodification of it, um, yeah. you know, it missed out some key points. Like, you know, obviously they got to the comeback and the heavyweight world title win at forty-five, but the journey there was sort of rushed a little bit. Um, and and the like, the fact that you know the way he won the Michael Moore fight, I felt was skipped over. Like that's a major point, you know, to be losing the fight pretty much and then to come yeah. back and land and land the George Foreman right hand is an amazing yeah. story that, that builds, but they sort of skipped over it. So, yeah, I, I do think um, that was made for sort of a casual audience, whereas boxing yeah. fans will appreciate more of, of the boxer-style choreography because it's, it's, it's what we're used to watching on TV. We're not, yeah. like you say, 10 knockdowns at a fight are just, is just not going to happen, um, watching fights that you enjoy anyway. Um, yeah, not very yeah. What was your Hollywood experience like? So, you know, uh, around the time... I was born in 97, right? So I don't remember like the premiere of the film and all these sorts of things, right? So, you know... So, you know, was there a premiere? Was you was you involved in that? You know, I know Barry McGuigan is a major, major, major star. So when he's yeah. involved, things are going off. So what was that experience like, the Hollywood side of the promoting the movie? It was, it was surreal almost. Like, on a daily basis, it was myself, Barry McGuigan and Daniel Day-Lewis. We, we we breakfast together, we lunch together, we train together. It was just the, our, the whole time we spent it together, you mm. know. And then we came to um, whenever my scenes, sorry, go on. My scenes were supposed to finish in June, but the film is obviously still going on. Mercy filmed yeah. it in scenes, so there's still like another fight to go ahead. Um, there's still a lot of the movie, and I thought, well, once once it comes June, that's me. Um, I'm finished. You know, yeah. We're not going to do anymore. So Daniel told me to say, and said, listen, Dean, this is, do you mind if you stay here, stay on set till the very last day of filming, till the till shout, that's a wrap. And I was like, no, of course, it's brilliant. Yeah. So I was there man, that the, the film was being, being shot. I was got to witness a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. But I mean, like, I'll give you a quick story what it's like when you're not, you know, Barry McGuigan was my childhood childhood hero. You know, he was the man that everybody in Ireland loved. So, and I didn't know him obviously before the movie, and that's why he put my name forward. But still, when you're hanging about with him, and I mean, he trains like an absolute beast. Really? Still, oh, I mean, we used, to, we used to do these things. You can ask me that's called saturation circuits. It was something like it's like fifteen hundred exercises in these circuits, and he was like, and then some would be well, most would be ball with pull ups, dips, burpees. It would last about an hour. Been one of the guys, um, David Irving, who's actually a, a referee, next amateur pro as well. 
I think he was he near vomited near fainted. I think I done one and buried on three, you know, just pumping away. He'd be walking down Grafton Street and see a bit of scaffold and got being pulled up. You know, he was just he was a base for training. Wow. So it was not going to with him. And uh, we had got out of the taxi. We we're going to get some lunch. Walked in this. I can't remember the name of the, the, the name of the restaurant, but they, they were just closing up. We just finished their lunch and they were closing. So we walked in with our boxing boots on, training gear. We just come out of the gym. Uh, the guard said, uh, oh, sorry, lunch is finished. So we said, yeah, yeah, no problem. We walked back out again. Next thing, the manager came running out. Ah, excuse me, Barry, Barry. Nah, sorry, we're open. Come wow. back in again. Wow. Walked in. Sorry about that. Barry, Barry said, no, if, if, it's, if the restaurant's closed. No, no, please, please sit down. Uh, so it was me, Daniel, and Barry. We sat down and had lunch. Um, we left him, well, Daniel left him a, a hefty tip for keeping the keeping the, the the kitchens open. So it was that you know you've been recognised all the time, you know, especially with the fire McGuigan. Yeah. And then people, and then the, the word was getting out, and the movie was being made. Yeah. So it was it was a magical time for me, and it was absolutely fantastic. And you know what, he is a legend because, like I say, uh, I wasn't around during his career, but obviously Shane McGuigan helps you know the name stay alive, if you will. Um, I was in Bournemouth to watch uh, Chris Billum Smith fight Isaac Chamberlain, and um, Barry was, was obviously there and in amongst the McGuigan team. And I, I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit ashamed to say on the podcast actually, but I was in a queue to a, to a nightclub after the fight had ended, and I saw Barry on the other side of the road. Shouted Barry, he didn't obviously didn't turn around. He probably hears Barry all day every day, and I thought, should I go over there and just say hello? You know, I do this podcast. I'm a real big boxing fan, etc. I thought, no, nah, I've got to get in the club. The line looks long, and I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I stayed in. I stayed in the line. I had a good night. It was fun. It was, it was a great time. Yeah. But thinking about it, having, having had this conversation now, I should have went to see Barry. I'm disappointed in myself. But um, so it sounds like an, an amazing sort of opportunity there to be working in Hollywood with Daniel Day Lewis on this film. Um, and obviously, what a name! What a, what a thing to have on your your sort of Hollywood record, if you will. What what followed that? Any other opportunities within Hollywood that that came knocking? Well, not so from Hollywood, but I did do another, I done another movie. I actually got a lead part in a little short movie, like a 25-minute movie. And it came right off the back of The Boxer. I was actually getting on a plane to go to London. Um, I just got my first mobile phone, and the mobile phone went. Um, I was actually just walking to the steps and going to switch the mobile off. And there was a guy called Jamie Kelly from the Kelly Music Family. They're massive in Germany. They're like a traditional Irish rock. Okay. Thing. They're like in Germany, they get like... 50,000 the concerts, but he was dipping wow. his toe in the movies. So he says, um, I'm Jimmy Kelly. Uh, I've heard a lot of good things about you. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a short movie about boxing. Would you be interested in coming down and having a word with us? And I said, like, I'm actually getting on a plane to go to London. And he said, right, when are you coming back? And I said, this was Friday. I said, I'll be back Tuesday. He says, oh, I said, I'd like to get things sort of nailed down before that. And we fly a cameraman to London. And you meet him somewhere, we can do a bit of shooting with him. Said, yeah, no problem. So on the Sunday, I flew a guy over. He came over and asked me a few questions and done a bit of shadow boxing. He flew back with the stuff on tape. My phone rang on Monday morning. Jimmy Kelly says, "Can you f- are you flying back to Belfast? And I said, yes. He said, well, could you just fly straight into Dublin? Um, we can get things sorted out. So where do you want to stay? I said, well, I'll stay is it a big budget movie? He said, well, it's not a big budget movie. He said, but we can certainly look after you. Mm. 
So I said, where do you want to stay? And I said, well, I'll stay in the Burlington. He said, okay, you, you go back into the Burlington Hotel. I stayed in the Burlington Hotel, give on for seven months in a, in a, five, in a five-star hotel. <laughs> you were living good. Uh, everything, you know, cars laid on, anything I wanted was laid on, you know. So they said, would, would you like us to get you an apartment or a house? And I said, no. I said, I love this. I love the hotel. It was, mm. it was like a big family. Everybody knew everybody in the hotel at the time. There's a lot of boxing guys in and stuff like that. So it was always somebody to talk to. You know? So then another movie. Um, it was only a 25-minute movie. It came second at the Galway Film Festival. But I actually thought, is this what it's going to be like? Am I going to keep getting movie roles? And, and then it, it dried up. I got I got an agent then. And I, I've done a few bits and pieces. And, um, like a couple of days here and a couple of days there, but nothing to the magnitude of The Boxer or Fortune's Food, the other one was called. So you never know. Somebody might watch this podcast and say I need no boxer. Listen, if you if you are interested in giving Damien an opportunity, I re- I fully recommend it. Just 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 so that's clear. The Akin Stop Fish yeah. Digital Network fully recommend it. Uh, please do reach out, drop a comment below, and we'll put you in touch with Damien because it needs to happen. We need to see maybe even the boxer too. You know, let's let's get Damien, let's get um, Daniel Day Lewis out of retirement, and let's get that comeback pay per view. <laughs> we'll promote it. We'll get it happening. Exactly. I we think there you go. There you go. I think they're on like Creed Four now, so yeah. There you go. Shot at the title. Let's get it done. Um, so, what does life hold for you now? I do a little do a bit of personal training a couple of days a week. I've got five daughters, five beautiful daughters, beautiful wife. Um, things are starting to slow down, but. So I do a couple of days a week. I don't train any fighters. I train business people who like to do a bit of boxing. Yeah, so you're introducing them to the uh, 1,500 exercise Barry McGregor regime, I hope. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody could do that. <laughs> it, 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 is, it is amazing about the people that, that you wouldn't expect to, to like boxing, love boxing, when they start hitting the pads. Yeah. You know? uh, There's something animalistic. Yeah. Yeah. There is. And, and, and people don't know what's in there. And, and women are the worst. I've got a lot of women on, on my on my books. I've had a lot of women do the, the, on, on my books training, and they get in and sort of a little bit shy and start seeing yep. the end of the session. I mean, they're <coughs> hairs flying, the teeth yep. grind. You know, they're they're going for it. Don't think like that. It is a good way of of um, stress relief as yeah. well. Getting get a lot of stress and getting rid of anxiety and stuff like that. So I would recommend it for anybody. So my my final question. Um, yeah in part one of our conversation is around uh, damage in boxing so have you have you heard of Trist Dixon's book Damage I haven't read it yet uh, no Trist Dixon but yeah I remember him it's a, it's a great book uh, really recommend it and you know is, is damage that you've sustained both in sparring in amateur career in your pro career is that something you, you sort of think about at all because I must say genuinely uh, I'm not just saying this you are incredibly sharp you sound incredibly sharp. You know, we speak to, to sort of boxers who have had careers and you can see the effects it's had on them. But uh, if you didn't tell me you had a boxing career, I, I, I wouldn't know. Yeah, that's how you go. There you go. Elusive, elusive. <laughs> that's Silky Jones. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, you know, it's, you can't do something for so long and not sustain some sort of damage. You know, you're getting hit. You're getting hit and sparring, like sparring with the damage done. The fight's easy, but you know, you've, you've heard this. You've, you've, yeah. You run it. That's important. The, the fight's the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Preparation, the damage is done. The hundreds are around sparring. They're, they're making the weight. 
you know, and I, I, I do remember, and I actually spoke to Barry about this, with the Barry McGuigan about this when we, when we were <clears throat> When I retired, I used to sleep a lot. I mean, it would be like, it would be falling asleep. And that was, that's your brain trying to repair itself. Yeah, rest. Yeah. Mm. So there must have been some sort of dominant you know, and there have been times you'd have been sitting there and you'd be thinking, oh, where, where was it? You know? <laughs> but yeah, it was, it, you can't do something for, I don't see it was nine until it was what, 29? Mm. 20 getting punched in the head. There's got to be some sort of damage in there, but it hasn't taken set back to me or me yet. And you know, Tris, he talks to, um, I think, Tony Jeffries. He worked out, if he if he absorbed six punches to the head per round, um, then across his life, however many rounds he sparred, he worked out, and it was, the number was just astronomical um, when, when you add it up. And you're right, you can't do those things for, for, for so long and it not uh, bear its effects. But again, you know, there are a few anomalies that, seem seem to be unscathed George Foreman's still you know lucid uh, Barry McGuigan's still sharp um, yeah. you know yourself there's a, there's a there's a few fighters who are still sharp but there are also a few who you know we see them go on too long or even you know sometimes with a short career we see we see the effects it has on them so um, Eubank's actually quite sharp considering some of the, the damage that he took you know he, he's yeah. still sharp um, yeah so yeah, it's it's very interesting. I always like to ask our, our, our guests that because it's always interesting to get your perspectives on it. Because like I say, we're yeah. sofa senseis. We watch this from the comfort of our sofa. We're not taking the shots, and it was just good to get your perspective. So, Damien, thank you so much for joining us on Sofa Senseis. That has been a really, really insightful episode. I loved hearing about your career and about shooting the movie. Um, so thank you, first of all, for joining us. If you would be so gracious, please do stick around for part two. We've got seven signature questions that we ask all of our fight, all of our fighters just to figure out who they are a little bit more. So that has been Sofa Senseis. You've been joined by me, Kavan, and Damien Denny. Make sure you check out The Boxer. on It's on YouTube movies and it's also on Apple movies as well. And listen, not being funny, it's a worth watch because if you watch Creed, that's, that's the fake fights. We don't want the fake fights. We want the real fights. So check it out. Um, finally, we can be contacted Sofa Senseis on Instagram, but also Aki and Saltfish on TikTok, Twitter, and all those great things. Don't forget to email us with any comments or questions, Saltfish at gmail.com. And please do like, share, and uh, you know subscribe to us because it really helps us grow as a network and as a platform. Really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. And catch you next one.